In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. I'm excited about today. Today is going to be a fun day, as always, right? We always have fun doing these, but this series has been probably the most fun series <laughs> that we've done, just because these are all amazing books that we're discussing, that we've read. I, I, gosh, the one we're going to talk about today, The One Minute Manager, I read this book, I think, when I was about 21. And so it's really interesting to go back and to look at them and to read them and to discuss then how because they're amazing in their own right, but how can we overlay the hoodoo method so that it's more effective? We've talked about a lot of these books. They're great books and they're concepts you're going to agree with, but that's kind of the challenge, right? They're concepts. So we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the one minute manager today. However, the title for this podcast is the one minute mangler. (laughs) Yes. The one minute mangler, because no matter how hard you try and how excellent you get, there are always missing pieces that can help you succeed. Definitely. And so The One Minute Manager was published in 1982. It's so funny. It shows my age, <laughs> both of our age, probably. Both of us thought, oh, yeah, it was the uh, early 90s. So we're about <laughs> 10 years off when we first were looking at that. Uh, it sold over 13 million copies and has been uh, translated into 37 languages worldwide. So amazing book in its own right. And, and again, we read it in all 37 languages as preparation for today. They, oh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What, what the book talks about is primarily the main theme are these three secrets about managing people. And I'm just going to quickly go through the secrets here and talk about why it was successful. It was such a successful book. And I think part of it is because it's a very simple book. I think sometimes, you know, you don't have to write a 240 page book. And some of these books have been like 300 pages that we've been talking about when sometimes it's the simple thing that can get implemented or at least shift your thinking a bit so that you can change your habits and uh, change the outcome of things. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it was successful. So the first secret was about setting goals. And it's so funny, a secret. I think that's hilarious, isn't it, Uh, Alan, to say that that's a secret? But In fact, I'm really sad that you spilled the beans here because now people are going to know about it. (laughs) And But truly, think about it. Everyone knows that they need a business plan, but what percentage of people actually have one? So, you know, and I think it's, it's absolutely critical, and I think everyone will agree with this, you need to know the objective. And many times in businesses, managers, owners, just people leading other individuals uh, use the sink or swim method. Yes, and uh, it reminds me of a, a, a company we worked with. It was a, a huge company, and the slogan of the CEO was, you're either on the train or <laughs> under it. <laughs> How does that feel? Yeah, really. Makes you feel totally devalued, right? Even if you're on the train, you're always going to wonder, am I going to be under the train someday? Yeah, any minute now. Yeah. And so the second secret that the book talks about is one minute praising. And so the whole point of the one minute praising is find somebody doing something 
right and point it out. Yeah, and they even point this out in the book that, uh, uh, you know, performance reviews can be uh, sort of like, you're, you're, you know, the district attorney is there and you're, uh, you're being indicted and here are the charges that you're being indicted on. That's what performance reviews look like. And the, and the, the man that uh, brought quality to Japan and then to the United States, Edwards Deming, said that, you know, you should never have performance reviews because they're demeaning. Mm-hmm. Well, and they make people nervous. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, and I think too many personalities come into performance reviews. So it's just human nature. Yeah, um, subjective and not objective. Exactly. Good point. I love Deming. I love his work. Yeah, He's just yeah. been one of our favorite individuals to study. Um, and we'll talk about why at the end of the podcast. So Because he wasn't successful till he was 90 years old. Isn't that great, too? I love that part about it, too. <laughs> There's hope. Yeah, there's hope for all of us. Yeah. Um, the third secret is the one-minute reprimand. And this is basically that it shifts the criticism from the individual to criticizing the work. Because if you're not clear on what you wanted the outcome to be, with the individual, then you're, they feel like they did the job wrong instead of you giving them all of the specific information so that they could be successful within that, that, uh, the, the tasks that you gave them or job that you gave them. So like a lot of business book, it kind of gives you a false hope there because, you know, these, these kind of new methods, there's always an exception there. For example, if you criticize the work and not the person, that sounds great. It is a great, a great idea. However, if you are not specific about what you're critiquing, for example, I worked for someone who said, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're, if you're vague about it, you might as well say, you are garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and the other thing is, this is garbage. Now, how can I fix that? You know, can I take it out and put it in a plastic bag and put it in the back to be picked up? But how can you fix garbage? You can't. There's nothing specific you can do about it. So uh, the, the, what it's missing, and, and uh, we can get into more detail on that, but it's uh, when uh, you're not specific about a criticism, uh, you know, you kind of negate everything that you're trying to do because you put the people right back into a lot of the fear and doubt that they get when they're being criticized as a person. Yeah, I love that. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the podcast specifically about that third secret where we agree, but how can we overlay the hoodoo method with these three secrets, right? I love calling secrets. Everybody agrees with them all. (laughs) Somehow in business books, when you say it's a secret, it's like, woohoo. But you know, it's interesting. They call it a secret because a lot of people know it, but they don't do it. And that's the key, right? It can't work unless you actually do it. And there is the, I think, dissonance in so many business books that leave people feeling disappointed because they really want to do things, but it's not specific enough. So if I tell you set goals, well, okay, right? And, and none of us are wired the same to set goals in the same way or to do the things that need to be done. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit now is and we're going to break down each of these secrets and then we're going to give you tools 
uh, from the Hoodoo Method that you can overlay each of these three secrets in order to be successful and get it to the uh, finish line without leaving dead bodies behind you. Because honestly, that's exactly what this book was about. It's why I read it because I had a whole team and I'm like, I want to get something accomplished. And I had a natural uh, tendency to look at people the way I was, not who they were. And so that's the, the, the background of the first introduction to this book I had. So, and it's interesting because you, you, you want to do these things, but we can't deny who we are. And we also look at it from an aspect of I, like almost every business and self-help book is I, and we really need to look at it from a business aspect, even if you're a solopreneur from we. And so the first secret is, and I think this is interesting, Alan, you and I had a discussion about this, is, you know, it says that setting goals is the secret, but it really sounds like a task when you read the book and look at it because they're talking about something specific that you're handing off to somebody. So there really is a difference between goals and tasks. And I think this makes a real great area in, in the book. And so let me give you an example. A goal would be like, we want to increase our market share by 15%, right? But mm. there's going to be a thousand tasks in order to get to increasing your market share by 15%. Also, that when it comes to the that a thousand tasks that have to be done in order to get to the 15% market share. If you don't understand the core nature of work, the thing is, is that we all respond differently to each task. So in order to achieve the goal, each core nature of work has to be, you have to be clear on that and give them the parts of the work that they do well. Otherwise it, it just turns into mass chaos between the goal and the task. And again, they're talking about the task, but I think that's a big challenge in this book and yeah, reading absolutely. it, they didn't make it clear on that. Yeah, and so for example, if you're a shaker, and that's the person who comes up with ideas, uh, a shaker is one of two early adopters, and uh, they're gonna be after a very, very big goal. You know, change the world is often too small for a shaker. <laughs> and, uh, and usually that's, uh, you know, when they have the idea, they think they're, they think they're pretty much done. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I thought of the idea. It won't be that yeah. hard. Just change the world. Yeah, we'll have well, it done by Wednesday. We're optimistic. And, uh, and then a mover who is the early adopter and doer, they're also playing a very big game here. So they're going to want to change the world, too. And, uh, and that's very different. When they're talking about in the one-minute manager, you know, they, they talk about like uh, – uh, your goal is to clean the room, but you can't, it's hard to know what to do next. So, uh, but if we make your goal sweeping the floor and straightening out the room, well, th those are tasks. Even cleaning your room, you might say, is a task. And so what they deal with is the amount of detail you get into. Well, half the population of shakers and the movers uh, don't really want to be too concerned with the details. So they want the big goal. Whereas the provers and the makers, the later adopters, they're going to want smaller goals and they're going to be more concerned with the tasks. So number one, you've got to know who you're dealing with. And then within their domain uh, of size, uh, then, you know, how big is it and how far can you break it down? 
yes, then get specific, but don't get so specific that you're going to, you're going to lose them. So know who you're mm -hmm. going to talk to. Get big picture with shakers and movers and uh, smaller picture with provers and makers. Definitely. Definitely. I love that. It, it, it really making a determination between the goal and the task and how you're going to frame the goal differently with early adopters versus late adopters and how you're going to identify the task differently and what task will you expect of them? That is, that is pure gold right that's, there. That's pure the, gold. Write this down. What makes you or breaks you because if you give them the wrong tasks, they're going to feel like, uh, you know, they, they'd rather, uh, you know, choke or something like that than do the task. They're Absolutely. And, and, we'll roll, yeah, and we'll roll right into that on the second secret, right? Or yeah, one minute praising. So in the, in the beauty about what you just said, Alan, is that, you know, we need them all. We need movers, shakers, provers, and makers. We need you all. We just need you at different times and for different tasks and have to communicate goals differently. Um, as you will always say, Alan, People are different. <laughs> I thought you'd pick what I, pick up what I was putting down. So let's move into the second secret here, which is one minute praising. I love this one, right? Just, yes. Especially when it's hollow. How many managers walk around and it's a hollow praise? Yeah, right? really. And they're all usually done. They have 50 seconds left too. Well, that's an appraising for today. <laughs> which is, and that's, I think even paying attention to that piece, we all agree that this is a great uh, secret, one minute praising. Everyone's not gonna say that, I, everybody likes to be praised and be thanked for the hard work that they put in, yes. right? But it's just, you can't leave it at that. And I think that that just leaves a lot to be uh, stated because now you look at praise and you look at how everybody's different, well, hmm. You know, it's almost like that other book, The Five Love Languages. Not everybody likes to be, you know, praised in the same way. And, and based off of, you know, their core nature of work, it's going to be different, especially because you're praising the task. Well, and actually, uh, when you praise the task, you're praising them uh, for something that happened in the past. They did a good job on the task. Mm -hmm. But if you add the whole concept of knowing who they are in their core natures, then you can also, before the task, say, praise them for their abilities and say something like, and I know you're going to hit this one out of the park because it's generating ideas. And as a shaker, you are so good at that. You, know, <laughs> you can really get people motivated on the front end of the thing, too, not just on the aftermath. Yeah, that, that, that reminds me. And our team, our primary leadership team uh, that leads the different teams within our organization, we have a mover, shaker, approver, and we bring in the maker only when necessary because, of course, makers don't like to be a part of meetings unless they're quick they, and they're just getting something handed to them. Uh, they don't want to talk about big strategy. But what is cool about that is, is that you can praise, as you said, Alan, not just for the task and what did you do for me lately, but you can make comments in meetings. We do it all the time. Or you can shift when you're talking about something, knowing that you're looking at what could go wrong on the technology aspect or what is the timing going to be. And you look directly to your prover. So you don't own it. Everybody owns it. And when you get used to that, you can say, 
gosh, I'm, God, I didn't even think of that. You're, you're the best, you know, prover ever when that's not typically what we do. You can be at lunch with somebody and make a joke about it. And, but it's funny because you feel like the light is being focused on what you're great at and your core nature of work. And it takes the rub away. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, it's personality. It's not personality completely. I mean, that uh, obviously you can put a little, uh, a little more oomph behind it if you understand that. And, you know, we've trained that as well in the past, but most people, leaders, team members look at a shaker and say, squirrel, or while wow, you've got your head in the clouds, or gosh, you're the chief idea fairy. They look at a mover and go, gosh, you always have to be in charge. But the mover does have it the easiest because they get things done and, and they're more patient with all the different core natures of work because they don't have a dog in a fight. However, still, most people, gosh, you always have to be in charge. Why? Because a mover wants to get things done and they become disengaged if they're not. Prover, what do we say? Gosh, you're such a naysayer, such an Eeyore, such a downer. And a maker, don't you have any unique ideas in the meeting? Come <laughs> on, right? Say and, something. <laughs> yeah, say something. And how sad is that, that we're trying to praise. And I think everybody should be praised, but I agree with you, not for the task not for the past. It should be for right now who you are and shine a light on their brilliance so that they want to be more than that and that you can identify then the first secret, what tasks do I give so that that person can walk into their brilliance instead of being criticized for who they aren't or worst case, you don't get anything done and that's why, you know, everyone hates their job. Yeah. And you can use this as a model to have a meeting and customize, actually customize this to your, to your own team just based on knowing the strength of each person and then also having a sense as when the, meet, the meeting progresses through time, it's like, just like the phase of a project and each person emerges as a leader. So uh, oftentimes we'll have a meeting and you know, Carla will say, Alan, you don't need to be around for the rest of this. We're going to be talking about a bunch of executional details. I say, thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, and then what do I do uh, when, when I'm in the meeting and I've already let you go, I will, in, in our maker, we've got several of them, but we've got one primary leader maker, um, Kaya. And I will say, I'm tapping out, Kevin, you can now get engaged with Kaya tomorrow or whenever, because there's no reason to keep everybody in the meeting and you're just sucking their energy anyway. So having the right people at the right time in the meeting. And I think Alan too is um, knowing the objective, right? So some meetings are for the ideation. What are we going to do? Some meetings are, Hey, these are the tasks we all have this week. So we have to come together and figure it out. Some meetings are for execution. So normally what we do is just go, we're going to have a meeting. And you might put an agenda together, but the problem is if you don't have an agenda that meets the core nature of work of each individual, that's what we call uh, employee engagement. As we should call it employee disengagement in meetings. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or employee enragement. <laughs> I write that one down. That sounds like a podcast to me. <laughs> yeah, I think. So, um, yeah, I think the other thing is if you, uh, going back to the negative side of that, is because uh, usually what we do instead of celebrating people for what they're good at, we judge them by what they're not good at. And I love Einstein's quote, and I think you do too. It's 
If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will think it's stupid for its entire life. Yeah, it's so true. And think about Einstein didn't speak to what he was seven. Right. Yeah. And people probably looked at him and go, gosh, I know that for a fact, I don't know who it was, his teachers or whatnot. He's never going to amount to anything. <laughs> That's right. And he, and he probably didn't have anybody uh, in his mind who was worth speaking to, probably. I don't know. Yeah. And so, again, being aware of this goals versus tasks, which we talked about in secret one, and then moving to the team's core nature of work and how to communicate and assign the task accordingly. That is absolutely critical in, in yes. being able to put gasoline in a match on the one minute praising. Yep. So let's move to the third secret here, which is one minute reprimands. Gosh, I don't like the word reprimand, but um, you know, it, it what's interesting about that is, you know, I don't really think that you should necessarily have to what the quote unquote reprimand about tasks if your team has been uh, cast correctly. And what that I mean is that you identify the core nature of work and expect them to show up and get at least 70% of their tasks within their core nature of work. We all have to do things we don't like, but when I have to do maker work and I don't like it, at least I know it's maker work and I trudge through right. it. Why? Because it has to be done, but I know it's maker work. And I know that this is only going to last for a short period of time, but the majority of what I do is what I love. Now this, I'm not talking about if somebody's late for work all the time or has an attitude issue or something like that. Like that's, a, that's not, I mean, you can be reprimanded for that. Um, but yes. I, I think that, that if you take into consideration the goal, the tasks that need to be done and you understand who your team is, like the reprimand should only be for, you know, because even if somebody makes a mistake, why would you reprimand them? And if they're utilizing the process, the amount of mistakes they're going to make is very little because it, 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 we'll get, that reminds me of Deming, but we'll leave that for yes. the end of the podcast. And every mistake is an opportunity to correct it and save time and money on the other end. So mistake is often good news. Yeah, that's a good, great point. Great point. It actually reminds me of Bill Gates. Somebody made like, it was a crazy, it was like a $400,000 mistake or maybe it was two, I can't remember. But I remember reading this article about it and they're like, are you going to fire him? They're like, hell no. I just invested $400,000 into him. <laughs> yeah, and so is that a reprimand? Good point, Alan, I love that. So instead of being critical, what if you do it from a different context and you move through the tasks based on uh, you know uh it used to be like i'm the boss the reason you did it wrong is you didn't you know blah 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 instead you you uh use the process and uh, the prover can point out what could go wrong now that's interesting too because that's a that's a, a future thing rather than a past thing. So don't be in the past and reprimand people for what did go wrong because that cuts off every bit of opportunity and it starts uh, getting into blame. But instead, have the prover go into the future and point out what could go wrong if we did it the way that you're proposing or reprimanding because there's a chance to fix it in concept form. Yes. No reprimanding and the entire team was involved. 
And so if you do that on the front end, the, the likelihood it's like, well, no, we all agreed on this. We all had our thumbprint on it. So how can you reprimand anybody when everybody had a say? Now that doesn't mean there's not going to be a mistake, but then you come back to the table and you still allow everybody to have a piece of this process. They come back and go, you know, this actually didn't turn out the way we think this happened here. That's not going to work. But then you engage the team on solving it versus expecting somebody to do everything exactly as you wanted them because the likelihood they are going to be good at something from start to finish is what one percent that's one percent of the population can do that so essentially 99 percent of the people are made for only a part of the work and we expect them to be able to you know start it run with it poke all the mm -hmm. holes in it and execute it and that's that's it's just not it's not realistic and 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 we've got it, you know, it reminds me of the electronics company. You probably know who I'm talking about, Alan, that we worked with. And this is typical of a, and because you said, because I'm the boss, and this is what you want to not do. But when you have a CEO that is a shaker, this is constant where they're using the top down. And as you said, uh, Alan, I'm the boss. And managers can do this too, not just the CEO, but this particular situation was the CEO. And then they ask for their team's input. They all agree on it. And then they still go do whatever the heck that they want. That's right. And reprimanding is top down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to get away from top down for 30 years. Instead, engage your team and understand their core nature of work and that is that their core nature of work is linear yeah because so on an org chart you just think of top down right ceo coo cfo you know everyone's seen those dumb org charts i remember building them for years and years and years and it's not that that's bad it's just that understand that that might be the organization but that is a, a function management not role management so when you engage your team with their core nature, then that's a linear. So top down or org chart, I'm the boss, and there's power with that top, top down. Into some degree, of course, there's going to be. But then when you line up your team, now it's linear. Now everybody is seen for their contribution to the process. And and I've just been wanting to quote this quote the entire time, but I wanted to end the podcast with it instead of start. I could have probably said this 50 times as we've been talking sure. on this podcast, but Deming will come back to it again is, you know, in his brilliance and years and years and years and years of work, identify that 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. And who's responsible for the process? It's the management. So, the the challenge is the process it's not the people and so the hoodoo method you can use this process and overlay it with any other thing that you're doing so that you can uh, manage the process and not point the finger and that's what typically happens because at the end of the day management is responsible they have to find the model in the process that's going to work and uh, the hoodoo method can be overlaid with any other process in order to uh, in order to you know come up with the idea, figure out uh, how you're going to get it implemented, and go back and forth between ideation and implementation, so you can have you know a happy deed. Yep, and all the finger pointing that you get when you don't use this process, well, that's one big reason why seventy percent of the people still still hate their jobs. Yeah, instead of being years. solution oriented. 
50 years Gallup's been doing that study have not moved the needle at all. And you can throw leadership, employee engagement. And again, that's why we are so excited to bring this information to you and you know talk about changing the world you know our whole focus here with the people catalyst is to revolutionize the way work is done so thanks so much for joining me uh, today my friend thank you carla until our next book i feel like we're part of a book club or something yeah the one minute mangler is signing off there you go and if you'd like to learn more visit us at thepeoplecatalyst.com Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.